0: Welcome to Real Jam Radio, I'm Daniel Rue, your host, so happy to have you with us for this episode. I really wanted to talk with Royce Young, the Oklahoma City Thunder writer for ESPN, about this fascinating team, Russell Westbrook's amazing start, where they're going, and so many other things, and for those of you who've listened, some of my favorite podcasts recently have been with Royce, because we start there and go in some fascinating directions, on this team and where and where they've been a lot a little bit of that as well and for those of you who like timestamps you listen to that podcast runs about an hour and we also have some great sponsors including a brand new one sherry's berries you can go to berries.com and there's a little mic in the top right corner you use the promo code real gm you're used to that by now and you can get fresh dipped strawberries starting at twenty dollars you can get double the berries for $10 more. I've tried them. They're awesome. I'll talk more about it when we get to that point in the show. Also, Blue Apron, the fantastic food delivery service. You can go to blueapron.com slash real GM, and you can get three meals for free, including free shipping with your first order. And also, our friends at Audible, you go to www.audible.com slash try now. You can check out their amazing supply of audiobooks and other projects that they do, and it's an amazing service. I've been using it a lot more recently, and you get a free audiobook and a month trial subscription. So you should check all that out. But first, you can listen to Royce Young and I talk about the Thunder. We go for about an hour. It was a great conversation to get full context on what is going on there, what Russ is doing, and everything else like that. I hope you enjoy it even slightly as much as I enjoyed recording it. Thanks so much for coming on. You bet.
1: Happy to be on with you.
0: I wanted to talk at or this early point about the Thunder, it was a team that fascinated pretty much everybody, including the two of us throughout this season. And Russell Westbrook was going to be a central figure. And guess what? He hasn't disappointed.
1: Uh, Yeah, <laughs> he has a, uh, I think that, uh, would you say that he's exceeded expectations? Is that, I mean, everybody had pretty high expectations for him, but I guess, I guess you could maybe say he's exceeding it. I guess averaging a triple double, whatever expectation you may have placed on Russell Westbrook, Playing as the lone alpha dog, I would think that averaging a triple double and having ten in the first twenty-one games has probably got to be a little bit, a little bit more than than what maybe was anticipated. But yeah, he's certainly been he's been great. If some of his raw numbers are, uh, you know, if you're looking for things to nitpick on him, like he had ten turnovers against the Pelicans. His shooting percentages sometimes are a little bit rough, but you know he's shooting a career high. I, th- I think I might have this wrong, but I think he's shooting a career high percentage from three. Uh, his true shooting numbers are really not as bad as you might think they are. They're right there along his career averages. His turnover rate is actually right there along with his career averages. It's actually one of the, on the lower end. But mainly, he's turning the ball over so much because he's using so many stinking possessions. I mean, it's, uh, he's, he's on pace to maybe break the NBA record in terms of usage rates. So the, the, the question for me is, Danny, can he keep it up? I mean, and, you know, Russell Westbrook kind of scoffs at this idea that, like, he's doing anything different or that he's got a higher burden of responsibility and that he won't be able to hold up for 82 games. But, you know, it's, it's still just uh, early December and the NBA season is long. It is arduous. And to think about him trying to run and jump all over the floor and make every play for the team in March, April and, and you know, potentially beyond if the Thunder get there, can put things together, that, that's a lot to ask of the guy.
0: I'm fascinated by the question of whether they can keep this up as well, because there are kind of two different parts of it. I mean, obviously, Russell's counting stats, his efficiency are incredible considering the volume he's doing, but the larger overall story has been, for me, that Westbrook when when he's been on the floor, the Thunder have been a very good team. You know they've been outscoring opponents by uh, I think it's about seven points per under possessions, which is very good. They've been strong defensively and more than good enough offensively. And so those things aren't necessarily the same question, but they are both incredibly important.
1: Right, and you know this is something that it's funny how you know perspective kind of plays with you when a team is either winning or losing. When a team is losing a lot of games, you look at it and you say, "Man." That they were they weren't far off from losing two or three more, and this could look really bad, but when they're winning, you look at it as. Man, the Thunder are three possessions away from being sixteen and five right now. So it's kind of a funny thing, but you know the point that you're making is is spot on. Because, and I think a lot of a lot of uh, teams kind of in the middle of the pack probably feel this. But if Russell Westbrook could play conceivably all 48 minutes, the Thunder would be I wouldn't say an elite team, but they would be you know an upper tier team. The problem is is that the help behind him just isn't consistently there. Uh, the bench has been. Um, horribly sporadic. Now, Billy Donovan's made a, a smart adjustment to stagger Victor Oladipo and Russell Westbrook's minutes more, and he's allowed uh, Oladipo to be more the primary ball handler with the second unit. But I think that the, for the Thunder, the, at this point, I think they know what they're getting from Westbrook. And, and the way Westbrook is playing, this is what some of his teammates have been praising him for, is that kind of the mark of a true superstar is how much better are you making the guys around you? And I think that you could say this year, even even with the crazy numbers, that Westbrook is making his teammates better.
0: Victor Oladipo is having a really nice season. It's been under the radar a little bit, just because he's playing with Russell Westbrook. But I think it's the most efficient he's been. His three-point shooting has really come around. And defensively, I still worry about Oladipo, but that's not Westbrook's fault. You know, That's that's not anything there. But he's putting Oladipo in the right chances to succeed. And something I wanted to ask you about early on, just because I've been fascinated with it, is that... The Thunder have defended well when Westbrook's been on the floor, but a lot of that is also, and it's hard to separate, I'm not saying it's one or the other, that they've basically kept Adams and Westbrook together almost entirely. And I'm not advocating for the stagger, but I wonder how you can parse this defense because Westbrook, you know, yeah, he did win Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year back when he was in college, but generally speaking, he's been a little bit shaky on that end. So how do you apportion defensive credit on this starting five?
1: I think... Yeah, Adams is obviously uh, a a stalwart protecting the paint and protecting the rim. But to me, it's Andre Robertson. I, I think Andre Robertson has taken a lead defensively. And everybody knows his offensive issues, but, you know, you can just even look at it, just kind of deduce it to an individual thing and look at him in individual matchups against some of the premier players in the league. And you know, I think Andrew Wiggins looked four of 19 against him. James Harden had one of his worst games of the season. I think he scored 14 points against with Robertson, almost exclusively guarding him the entire game. Carmelo Anthony had a a, a terrible shooting night. Devin Booker had a bad shooting night. I mean, you go down the line. And Roberson individually has done an incredible job on a lot of the league's best offensive players. Now, you you pointed out and you're you're spot on. Russell Westbrook is not as good a defender, I think, as a lot of people still think he is. And I think that that's largely in part that he kind of zones out on defensive possessions. He still gambles. He's been, I think, better this season than he has been in in the past because one of the Thunder's worst habits they had, Danny, the last number of years – is and you know Durant was guilty of it and Westbrook was uh, the most guilty of it I think is that they just knew that they had so much offensive firepower that they took defensive possessions off they don't have that luxury this year anymore I think that there's a full understanding now some of those habits die hard but there's a full understanding that they have to invest on the defensive end uh, because they're just not good enough in the half court uh, to consistently be good without defending at a high level.
0: And that ties in with one of the most interesting dynamics that we've seen with this Thunder team, which is how much they've been able to run. And you would know better than I would, but it, it feels like when I watch them that it comes out of the idea of necessity, that they run because that's how right. they get offense.
1: Yeah. The best Thunder possession, in all honesty, and a lot, of people have, a lot of people have kind of caught on and they're starting to kind of look at Westbrook's rebounding numbers and wonder what's up with that. And then he, is he stealing rebounds? The, the Thunder's best offense right now is russell westbrook to grab a rebound and turn it into a one-man fast break i mean that is he he breaks down opposing defenses if his teammates run the floor with him he can create a corner three for anthony moro or damonis sabonis or whoever victor oladipo who like you you mentioned it like oladipo shooting like i think 57 percent this season on corner threes which is an incredibly high rate and not sustainable by in, in in any means but but yeah that's that's the thunder want to play with pace because they understand that if you get into a half court grind there's still i think that Offensively, Billy Donovan has actually made some nice adjustments in that they're growing and adapting a little bit. There's a little more side-to-side movement with the ball and players, uh, but still, the Thunder are the Russell Westbrook show, and they're fairly predictable, but there's, you know, that they are able to generate offense at a high level when they're out on the break, and that's typically just generated by Russell Westbrook getting the ball and running with it.
0: It is amazing how much that depends on him. Oladipo can can handle it a little bit in that situation. I'd like to see him get more comfortable there because he can certainly do that, and Robertson is much better in that sort of a setting. He also makes good decisions for the most part. Like Robertson, it's it's underrated. You know, we we think about the basic tools for a an offensively limited guy, but what Robertson does that's good is he does he he makes he makes reasonable decisions when the ball's is like when he has to make that spot. But I was thinking back to that play last night against the Pelicans where they had that really weird late fast break where I think it was three passes in like 2 seconds. <laughs> right. where Westbrook through over his head and then i think i think oladipo the this and yeah that's not representative of everything else but it's like you know that's where they're in their natural state and how far away are we from campaign like is that is that like is is that is there really a timetable on the horizon or is that something we just kind of have to wait for
1: they've been quite vague with that honestly danny it's it, you know the, the the original timetable with him was you know reevaluated. i can't i think it was in six to eight weeks or something which is like I think we're about in that period of time now. I, I've seen Payne out on the floor. He's, you know, was in sneakers last night. And I, I don't really know this for sure. Uh, we haven't been briefed by the team on it by any means but it's pretty apparent that he's starting to go through some light on-court workout stuff as far as i know no setbacks you know you know he elected not to have surgery on the foot after breaking it uh, a second time he had surgery on it over the summer so he elected not to have a second surgery which is a little bit of a risk
0: that's the opposite Uh, of durant right
1: right you know durant had the surgery and then tried to let it heal and then they adjusted the screw tried to let it heal and then they finally just pulled the plug and just and 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 the big reason for durant's was is that he's and i'm sure you've seen his. Feet, Danny, but it's like Kevin Durant has some of the most unique feet in the entire world. So yeah. um, and, and Payne's, you know, Durant's was different in that his just didn't heal right. Payne's healed right. It's just that he landed on it awkwardly and rebroke it, basically. Uh, or re or rebroke he rebroke broke a bone near it. I don't think he actually broke the same bone. He just rebroke a bone near it. Uh, the way it's described to me is it was like just the worst case of fortune, bad luck that you could possibly have. It's obviously a concern, but the expectation is that Payne will be back, and, and they need him. They clearly need him. Samaj Christian has filled in, but he's effectively, you know, a slightly above D-league caliber player. He's That's where he's been the last few years and overseas. Uh, he's, you know, done a decent job for that type of player, but the Thunder need the, the dynamic ball handling and playmaking ability of Cameron Payne. Not that he's going to, like, fix everything and he's some star-level player – but to get him in, in the second unit running pick and roll with Ennis Canner rather than Christian would be a big upgrade. And then also playing him alongside Westbrook because, you know, we all know the Thunder struggle shooting the ball and Payne's a pretty decent three-point shooter.
0: That's a good point. And, and you can, Payne is good enough that you don't just need to use him as a backup for Russ, especially right. because Westbrook plays so many minutes. So you don't, you can, you can play Payne more than that and have it. And the The best representation I can make of how the Thunder have been without Westbrook is that their offense has been probably below Sixers level when Westbrook's yeah. been off the floor. And when you're that bad offensively, anything helps. You know, a capable player at basically any position will make a meaningful difference, especially when it's someone who can run the offense, initiate pick and rolls and things like that.
1: Right. And, you know, and that's and that's kind of the point that I was making off the top is that. You know, Westbrook has this incredible burden on him on the offensive end. And, you know, he understands it. And I think he's fully embraced it. And the Thunder have kind of built this identity around him doing it. The question is sustainability. But, you know, I was actually talking with somebody earlier today. You're a smarter basketball person than me, Danny, so you can probably tell me how I'm wrong. But, in some ways, I feel like this Thunder team kind of mimics the Rockets team that went to the Western Conference Finals a couple years ago, in that James Harden did so much offensively for that team. You know, if you look at the Thunder's numbers, they create a lot of corner threes and they score a lot in the restricted area. They're bad in the mid range, they don't get to the free throw line that often like the Rockets necessarily did. Um, but Westbrook's kind of like, you know, the same way that James Harden was just creating corner threes for Monte Yunus or Josh Smith or Terrence Jones or whoever it was. You know, Demonis Sabonis is kind of that similar type of stretch four. Joffrey Laverne is kind of the similar type of player. You got Adams kind of like the Dwight Howard rebounding defensive presence role. I feel like there are some similarities there. I'm not saying the Thunder ceiling is the Western Conference Finals by any means, but I, I think that that's kind of the identity that they're forging at least right now.
0: I had never really considered it but I'm on board and the reason why is because a, a a structural similarity that you that you kind of keyed on at the beginning which is the reliance on one player to create for other players that can take advantage of the opportunities that are created for them. You know I like, so yeah. There are lots of different ways that you can be a good or a bad NBA player, but one of the core distinctions is can you create for others, can you create for yourself? And can you take advantage of those opportunities when they're created for you? And the Thunder basically have one guy in the first two camps and a couple of pretty capable guys in the second one and or in the third one. And that's what Oladipo has been very impressive yeah. at so far this year. And one of the things that I was looking at kind of as I was prepping for this, and this ties in exactly with what you're saying, is that you can get on on the NBA media stats site, you can get a shooting by area when a player is on and off the court. And the Thunder are shooting 10% better in the restricted area and taking 5% more of their shots from there when Westbrook is on the floor. So basically he's fundamentally changing their offense. They're, they're shooting more corner threes, fewer above the break. And as you said, they've been doing really well on corner threes. And so Westbrook is basically forming their offense. And when you look at the rest of their team, you're like, well, nobody else could do that.
1: Right. And it's, and it's a, it's a risky proposition, of course. I mean, you sure. uh, But when
0: you, when you have the options, they have risky, a risky proposition is better than 90% 90 (laughs) of the teams in in that area. I mean, you look at all the struggles that various, you know, mid-level, like look at the Pelicans, the team the Thunder played last night. It'll be later, more than last night from when people listen to this, but they're relying on Davis and Davis is a wonderful player, but he doesn't have that same repertoire. He can score for himself. He can, he's more, he he can be a primary in senses, but it's a lot harder for a big man to do that, even with his skill set. I'm sure they would love to have somebody like Russell Westbrook, in, in other ways and 80s great and also because something that that Nate and I actually talked about last night is it's easier to build a competent team around a single star offensively if that guy doesn't have big man defensive responsibilities
1: yeah that's a good point and you know and and, and again the Rockets I think were, were sp- spread a little more diverse with better shooters overall you know the Thunder you know they're not a finished product. They're probably going to make uh, another move or two. They're probably going to be active around the trade deadline. They, Sam Presti's not doesn't have his arms behind his head and feet up on the desk and saying, "Yeah, this is the team I want for the rest of the season." They're they're going to try to to adjust it and tweak it in a way. But you know it's 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 similar in the way. And I'm not comparing Russell Westbrook to LeBron James. Everybody. But like it is similar in terms of of the way that LeBron can just influence a game in so many different ways offensively just by his presence and the way he can create for everyone at all times and and including himself – Westbrook does kind of that similar type of stuff. And LeBron's obviously the most, maybe the most freakish player in NBA history because he's six foot nine when he's doing it, and you know, two hundred sixty pounds. But uh, you know, it's, it's I think that that's kind of the design the Thunder are trying to operate with here. Is you know they, and this has been awkward for them too, Danny. You know they've gone from this true two headed attack of Durant and Westbrook that they've been riding with for the last three or four years. And to so now, you know, a solo show. And I think it's been a little bit uncomfortable for Westbrook, who has dove headfirst into it. I'm sure he's relishing this. But, you know, it's, it's not been the easiest thing in the world for him.
0: Did having not only last season when Billy Donovan actually approached the stagger a little bit more, but also the time when Durant was out with his foot give kind of a little bit of a a background that helped make this happen. Because that's something I was thinking about is that if Russ had gone into this without much experience, it would have been a much larger adjustment. But the last two years, through happenstance, they've been able to get kind of like a beta test of how this was going to work. And while that's good for the team and team building and everything like that, I think it's probably more important for Russ.
1: That's a great point. And that's something Billy Donovan talked about pretty much unprompted after the Pelicans game. Uh, You know, I asked him a question about you know, the way that, that Westbrook is approaching this and, and he referenced exactly what you said the two seasons ago when, when Durant missed 55 games and Westbrook tried to basically drag the Thunder into the playoffs all on his own. And, you know, Westbrook led the league in scoring that year. His usage rate was, I think, around 45 percent in the games that Durant sat. But he he took a much different approach in those games. Now, they, they didn't have a training camp. They they weren't prepared for that. They always assumed that Durant was going to be able to come back. So it wasn't like that they were changing their whole offense and, and restructuring everything like they have now. And, they you know, they haven't been – they're more prepared, I think, now. Uh, but I think that for Westbrook, that was kind of a – you know, he tried to just beat teams – almost exclusively on his own. And I think that he is approaching it now in a different sense and having learned from that to look at it as, you know, he can get his own also, but if, if they're going to be successful, he's got to make everybody else better. He's got to, he's got to lift all the other boats as well. And I think that, like you mentioned, I think that that sort of thing, and then along with the staggering has kind of been eye opening to him that he can't just walk out and expect to shoot 35 times and, and, you know, beat somebody on his own. It's got to be with the help of others.
0: And I don't know about you, but for me, the idea of not doing something alone also ties in with the holidays and the Christmas spirit. And that also is a great theme for our new sponsor, Sherry's Berries. And Sherry's Berries is more than just a berry shop, though they do that extremely well. It is a one-stop shop for everyone on your list. But where it really does start is their amazing dipped strawberries. So you can get decadent, fresh strawberries. I actually was lucky enough to try some of them out. They're really awesome. And with real gm their promotion with us is that if you you can go to berries.com b e r r i e s.com then you click the little microphone in the top right corner and then you can get an amazing set of of decadent ridiculous strawberries for $20 and you can get double the berries for just $10 more so even cheaper than that and also on that page you can see a lot of the other great things that they have they have cheesecakes, cake pops, popcorn, so many other things. But the berries, for me, because that's what I got to try, were really the highlight. They're The berries themselves are huge, they're fr- they're fresh, they're, they tasted great, and they're dipped in chocolate and then usually they have something else on the top, whether that's nuts, chocolate chips, something of that nature. And I really did enjoy them, got to share some of them with friends and family. They all really enjoyed them as well. So you can go to berries.com, use the promo code REALGM, check it out for yourself. I, I highly encourage you to. And Sherry's Berries is awesome enough that they're actually doing a first ever in any of my podcasts, a specific promotion just for Real Jam Radio. They're not doing this with anyone else. We talked about the idea about a month ago and they are doing a contest. And so what the contest is, is it is a Christmas gifts story contest. And so basically what you do is we want it to be basketball specific ideally NBA, but it can be basketball because, you know, the gifts are are what they are. And so you can do this two different ways. Either you can tweet using the hashtag my best NBA gift or my worst NBA gift, and you can put your story there. But if it doesn't fit in 140 characters, and many of these don't, you can also email me, NBA at gmail.com, The best stories, the best gifts, will get gift cards from Sherry's Berries. And these aren't small gift cards. These are $50. And so it's going to run over two weeks. I I don't have a specific endpoint. I'd love to have everything by December 15th, but it might be December 20th. It'll depend on submissions. So you send your best things. I will look at them myself. I will call them and then I will consult with other people whose opinions can be great on this. And the better the story, the more likely you are to win. So it can be best or worst. Both are great and give contacts and everything like that. So again, you should check out berries.com, use the Real GM promo code, and that's B-E-R-R-I-E-S, Sherry's Berries, and then you can also use the My Best NBA Gift, My Worst NBA Gift, and maybe you can get $50 so you can try out Sherry's Berries for yourself. Now back to the conversation with Royce Young. And the idea of how he needs the help of others is something that I've been interested in when I watched the Thunder. And what I was wondering for you as somebody who's been around not only this team, but around a lot of these players for a major for a lot of their careers from what you've seen so far, who do you think is playing above what you would expect moving forward? And who do you think is playing below what you would expect moving forward?
1: That's a, that's an interesting question because I don't really necessarily think anybody. I mean, I think in some ways Oladipo is playing above it, but just in the sense that he is shooting the ball, catch and shoot numbers and corner three numbers above the expectation. Now, I, I don't think Oladipo is necessarily playing above like what his career standard would be. You know, he, I think you know the book on him in Orlando was that. You know he didn't get to the rim enough, didn't get to the free throw line enough, and didn't finish enough at the rim, right? So I think he's got some of those same issues. Westbrook is is even, I think, exceeding expectations, but you know he's the we're we're removing him from the discussion. I think Steven Adams has been the guy to me that, and and I I would say Adams is having a nice year, but I think that after the way he performed in the postseason, I think there was somewhat of an expectation to him for him to take a really significant leap forward and really, especially remove Durant, you move Ibaka, that Adams would become kind of. Uh, Westbrook's running buddy almost in a sense and Adams has been good this year there, there's no question about it I don't think that he has necessarily taken the the, the sizable leap forward um, the other guy that I think has been somewhat moderately disappointing but I don't think it's necessarily surprising but you know Ennis Canner has not posted like really big numbers he's still you know 15 to 20 minutes a game Billy Donovan obviously does not trust him on the defensive end for good reason um, but you know with the uh, removal of some of the offensive stars, there was kind of a thought that maybe Cantor would factor in at a bigger level. The Stash brothers lineup of Adams and Cantor together might play more and more. That really hasn't played out so far this year.
0: Yeah. That's been a part of this story is that the Thunder have been looking for contributions from a lot of other guys, you know, like outside of the the couple that that we've talked about so far and those players really haven't delivered either. Anthony Morrow, still, I, I still say this, as crazy as it sounds, that Morrow is still the best catch-and-shoot guy I've ever covered, and I've covered Steph Curry's whole career. He was one of those, I, I, I remember once just watching him shoot in I, it was warm-ups or practice or something, and he just couldn't miss. And then this year he's shooting like 29% from three, yeah. and the Thunder would love to have, even if it was only for 10 to 15 minutes a game, if all Morrow did was just hit catch-and-shoot threes, that would be enough.
1: Yeah. And uh, you're right about Moro though. I, one of the most impressive things and, and, you know, you watch Steph Curry on a consistent basis. So, I mean, you know, impressive when it comes to shooting, but watching Moro go through his like quick trigger catch and release thing where he doesn't bring it down, you know, he'll, he'll shoot a bunch of those in warmups ups. Is one of the most remarkable things to watch him swish fifteen or so of those in a row where he just catches it at his face and just flicks it up there. It's amazing to me. But but yeah, no, I mean, no
0: I've seen him I think I've seen him hit forty six out of fifty from three. Maybe not all that quick release stuff, but all all that kind of thing i mean like it gets talked about a lot that players can shoot a lot better in practices than they can right. in games for a million different reasons and all of them make sense you know like dwight howard makes free throws in practice too like this oh, yeah. is, these are these are good players and it's a big adjustment and to see that kind of a thing from moro was really impressive and it's also like I've watched uh, the, during Team USA stuff I watched Clay and you know Clay is a remarkable shooter he can when he has his feet set he can do it but like Moro you you were shocked when it didn't go in and that's a different thing with him and also part of it with Steph that's different is that Steph tries such ambitious stuff because he wants to whereas Moro was more staying in his lanes pushing himself within that lane And Curry's just like, oh, I'm just going to shoot from the logo for 10 minutes. It's a very different mentality. But just watching a guy take the shot that players spend their entire lives trying to do. And the NBA three, for those who have never done it, like I've been on an NBA court and tried to shoot him like it's a long shot. Like I used to fiddle around with the college three, but the NBA three is a lot further. And to see a guy just just nail those with that kind of consistency is awe inspiring.
1: Yeah, and you—that's the thing with Steph. I mean, Steph's degree of difficulty, sometimes self-induced, is just um, amazing in the way that he can hit them. But yeah, if you just lined Anthony Morrow up and you just—you know—you just had somebody under the basket rebounding for him, and you put him up against basically anybody in the league, and said, "You're in a contest. Here's 100 threes. Let's see who makes the most out of him. After watching Anthony Morrow as much as I have, and especially in practices and shoot-arounds, it'd be hard not to pick him. I mean, seriously, he is—it is amazing how good of a a just pure shooter he really is. Now, like like you mentioned, it hasn't really played out so much this year. I think that he's had some trouble with rhythm. You know, early in the season, Billy Donovan was trying to play rookie Alex Abrinas. Um, Those minutes were going to Abrinas rather than Morrow. So I think Morrow had some trouble getting into a rhythm. You know, Morrow, I think, missed his first 11 threes of the season. Some of them forced because I think he was trying to kind of generate some rhythm. But they need that. They need Anthony Morrow to provide an offensive spark. And Donovan has gone to him for the last two and a half weeks. And it's not just the spot-up three-point shooting. You know, more one thing I think in his game, Danny, that he didn't get enough credit for is he has really developed the ability to pump somebody, take two or three dribbles and hit a little floater or hit a little uh, pull-up jumper. And he is a much better two-point shooter than I think a lot of people realize.
0: It is a more recent development, but you're absolutely right. And another guy who... I think he's been better this year from what I've seen than, than last year. That could also help try to answer this is Kyle Singler.
1: Yeah. And Singler has been a train wreck again,
0: (laughs) But, but would you say he's been less of a train wreck than last
1: year? Um, I don't know if I could say that well, maybe so. you know he, it's, it's,
0: he, it's, a, it's a very strange comparison to make.
1: yeah, I mean he it's like the train rolled off the tracks and flipped over, and maybe this season we could just say the train rolled off the tracks and just stopped slowly in the dirt. <laughs> so yeah, I mean Singler is, he's fallen mostly out of the rotation again, and you know the, the the thing is with Singler is that in the preseason he was super effective. And, you know, I don't remember what his preseason number were, were, but he was he was the player the Thunder thought that they were getting from Detroit again. I mean, everybody understands with Kyle Singler that in Detroit he was a pretty solid three and D type of player. And that's what the Thunder desperately need. And that's why they keep giving him opportunities. And every now and then there are flashes of, you know, the things that Singler does well is he still he still defends. He still works hard. And, you know, he's obviously, you know, kind of your prototypical role player in that he's not concerned with himself or his numbers. The thing he's just not doing well is he's just not shooting it. And, you know, for a a team that is in desperate need of shooting, he's got to make more than he has.
0: I realized after I brought up Singler that I hadn't looked up his numbers in a while. That train has flipped over again this year. I I, I, I completely messed it up. He's he's shooting like 12% from three. Yeah, And 20 percent has- is like, I mean, obviously it's a small sample. I think he's only, ta- he's taken less than 20, so. I
1: was know. trying to be polite and give him preseason credit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, hey, hey, you're, you're, a ni- you're a nicer guy than I am, and that, that and that's, gets into this idea of, you know, like, where are they going to get new contributions? And one of the ideas that I wanted to float by you that I've been, ever since they acquired him, like Jeremy Grant, as somebody who strangely watches a lot of the Sixers, because I find them fascinating, Grant his his role always felt like it was going to be you know as an athletic pogo stick power forward and mm-hmm. the thunder could use that but they've been playing him a lot at the three in this right. weird Cantor laverne jeremy grant thing and part of that is just the lack of wing depth you know that they've been trying these guys that we just talked about and they haven't been working but i just want to see jeremy grant ennis his at the four at the five run when you can Fight when you can't, and I think that could work a lot better.
1: And they've experimented a little bit more with that. You know, one lineup that they closed with uh, against the Wizards in that overtime game was Sabonis at the five and Grant at the four. But you're exactly right. Uh, you know, they they've leaned on Grant mostly as uh, at the small forward position, and I, I think that in some ways, you know, if you look at Grant's shooting numbers, you know, the Thunder hoped that he would develop into somewhat of a three point threat. He hadn't hit a lot of them, but he's been pretty good from the corners himself. He is an extremely predictable. Player when he puts the ball on the floor, he takes you know this like weird euro stepping, long striding thing that everybody's figured out and doesn't fool anybody. But yeah, as as like a you know transition player that can you know sky for offensive rebounds, that can you know catch and dunk, catch and finish. Grant's been a, a pretty solid addition, but I, I'm I'm in complete agreement that to me naturally uh, you put him in lineups as the four, and you, you know you you could trot out a thunder lineup that is impressively athletic and could really try to, uh, you know, abuse people in transition. And Donovan has started to kind of lean on that a little bit more and more. You know, uh, there was extended minutes uh, against the Pelicans that Grant defended Anthony Davis. And I'm not going to say he did a great job or anything, because Anthony Davis you know, doesn't almost matter who you put on him. But, you know, he at least made him work. He contested stuff. He didn't he didn't give up easy points. So I, I think that that is something that, that Donovan is looking at more and more in in terms as the, as the season goes on.
0: We'll get back to that in a second, but I also, it was nice to see Donovan put Steven Adams on Davis. It makes sense given their personnel. And that was exciting to, to watch a little bit. And I, I thought Adams did a decent enough job.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the thing is with Adams um, and this, and this started to come to fruition last season that makes him really unique and really kind of enabled the Cantor Adams lineup is that Adams has the ability to guard a lot of fours, And that is something for, you know, a guy that's seven foot one and the size that he is, is, is pretty unusual uh, in that, you know, Technically speaking, you know Adams is – on the defensive end is really the four and Cantor is the five and then they flip-flop on the offensive end with, with Adams being the five and Cantor the four. And that's, that's really the only reason that lineup works is that Adams has that kind of versatility that he can guard a lot of fours in the NBA. And, and quite honestly, that's who the Thunder uh, want him on is um, – you know, he's, he's their preferred guy when they play against those high-level fours.
0: Robertson would be great if he could do that. I mean, especially if it's a team that has a four and doesn't have a three, but he's a little bit small for it. Right. It's it's one of the and a lot of the a lot of the fours in the league right now that are doing that are the bigger type like Porzingis. I actually would love to see that, see Robertson on Porzingis, just because I I like any sort of weird physical challenge for Robertson and (laughs) Porzingis. Like, that's just one of those things. But I'm trying to kind of process it also with Laverne. Joffrey is a a talented guy offensively, and his defense comes and goes. But I like him so much more as a center than as a power forward, because his comfortability stretching the floor actually matters. When he plays against the four, you know, those guys can defend in space, and that gets into the whole idea with Adams. And so... There, it seems like there is a little bit more in the Thunder rotation. And you talked about the idea of them trying to get somebody at the deadline, maybe even somebody through a, as a buyout candidate, depending on what that buyout candidate is looking for. And that would really help because just another player on the wing, particularly who Donovan is comfortable playing, would open up a lot of these other possibilities. And I give Billy a lot of credit for being willing to try stuff and then being willing to stick with it when it works.
1: Right. And, you know, I think that Thunder fans had a little bit of a hard time with that last season in Donovan's first year uh, because Donovan threw a lot of stuff out and he would try a lot of different lineups and a lot of different looks and Billy Donovan takes the approach. And and again, I think that this frustrates fans to a degree just because every fan that's watching a game is invested in that single solitary game and they want to see a win. But Donovan really doesn't, I, I wouldn't say he doesn't mind, but it's not the most infuriating thing to him in the world to lose a game, to learn something. And um, you know, trying to see what, you know, an all bench second unit can do in a a certain specific game. Um, He's willing to kind of ride with that and get a look and get an understanding of it. Um, Because as he kind of pointed out in training camp that, you know, the first two two or three months of the season for him are going to be a lot of discovery because not only did did Durant and then did Durant leave and they trade Ibaka, uh, but they've got a lot of new players on this team regardless. I mean, this is uh, essentially an all new roster around Westbrook. Uh, on top of the departures and and what they had to kind of adjust to. So Donovan is, like you mentioned, Danny, he's not unwilling to try a different lineup out. And when he sees something working, he'll stick with it. And, you know, maybe he'll tweak a little bit on the back end of it. But uh, he is certainly the type of coach that is willing to experiment. That was one of the biggest frustrations with Scott Brooks is that he didn't want to experiment, that he was stubborn in his rotations. Um, And it's kind of ironic that a lot of people have looked at Donovan and they've kind of had a misunderstanding of him being willing uh, to to be flexible and that's their frustration. So, you know, it's one of those things you can't have it both ways.
0: You certainly can't. And it, and all that talk about experimentation gets me thinking about Blue Apron, the fantastic food delivery service. You've heard me talk about it for a long time, but there's a reason for that, and it's because I really do believe in Blue Apron and the service that they're providing. It's a great way of building cooking confidence, if that's something that matters to you. One of the recent things that I made that was totally different from anything I've done before was a crispy shrimp po'boy. I've eaten po'boys for years. But the process not only of breading shrimp and and doing it in a pan was great for me. I've done things similar, but with shrimp was a little bit of a different challenge. Turned out great. Nice sauce, good veggies, and of course amazing seafood, which is one of the hallmarks of blue apron for those of you who are interested in that. So what you get with blue apron is is a lot of different things at once, depending and it's great for a lot of a lot of different approaches. So if you like eating great food, there isn't really a better way to do that, especially in your own home than Blue Apron, other than those of you who are lucky enough to either be or live with amazing chefs. Even then, it's great food, and you can either use it as a way of to building your own cooking confidence or as a jumping off point to do your own thing. You can do whatever you want. I think I mentioned this before that I've adapted some of their own stuff as I move forward. It's an inspiration of working from that. If you like eating good meals, you do that. If you like Quality, fresh ingredients. Blue Apron is amazing for that. And if you want to get better in the kitchen, there is no better way than to do that than with experience. And they give you great, straightforward recipes and you get to keep them. They're hard copy things. And I actually have a little book of my Blue Apron recipes. I've gone back to a few of them over time. You get the confidence to do it yourself to try new to try new things and to develop new skills in the kitchen which is an important cornerstone just like on the basketball court to getting better to getting more versatile so you can try it out for yourself you go to www.blueapron.com slash real gm you get three meals for free including free shipping on your first order and it's a great way to try it out there are a lot of different options and everything like that. I, I encourage you to look at what, what's available there. Try it out. I've been using it for months now. It's something I look forward to every single week. www.blueapron.com realgm. Also, like him, his ability to experiment, I think he does this better than Steve Kerr, the, the coach that I cover, where Kerr does it more for the idea of the player's emotional health. Like, a lot of his experimentation comes from just wanting to make sure everyone's happy. Also, it's an issue of having, like, six different guys that play the same position. So you have (laughs) to do a lot of weird stuff out there. But Donovan is—he is a tinkerer, and one of the great things about the league right now is that the coaches that approach the regular season that way have been empowered to do so, because before it was really just Pop. Pop would do it because no one would ever tell him no. And now with the success that San Antonio has had and finding these guys, and of course, a lot of that credit also goes to their front office because it's easier to experiment when the guys are all good than when some of them are shaky or all of them are shaky. But seeing that experimentation throughout the league and another connection with that is the idea of, playing some, of starting Simonis. You know, he's not playing the mm-hmm. most minutes in the world, but they're starting him and then he's playing, you know, somewhere around 20. And he's he's done a good enough job. I'm not sure it's a perfect solution, but it's been fun.
1: Yeah, and it's—I mean—it makes sense on a number of different levels, right? Is that one, you're investing in a rookie that could be a a significant part of your future. You know, Sabonis has flashed a lot of skill and really kind of unlocks a lot of doors potentially as a passer and a high pick-and-roll player um, and a stretch shooter which has been a significant development that not a lot of scouts or people saw coming this this soon. A lot of people saw him as a potential stretch guy but maybe not this this soon. But yeah, Donovan was willing to to go with that because that was, you know, that was kind of a risk but it was the fit. And you know, alongside Westbrook and you know, especially with Adams, they needed that type of player on the floor and you know, Sabonis, I think, is the kind of player that Billy Donovan really craves at that position, and that's one of the frustrations I think that Donovan had last season with Ibaka, and that's one of I think one of the reasons Ibaka had such a uh, inconsistent season is Ibaka is just not like a processing player. You know, he's not the type type of guy that you put the ball in his hands and then he's going to read option A, B, C, and D. Ibaka, you know, has one one read basically is you know it's am I open? And should I shoot it? (laughs) You know, like, and that was it. You know, Donovan really likes that foreman to be what he calls a transporter of the basketball. He wants the ball to to get in his hands and for that to kind of be the fulcrum of the offense, you know. And and Sabonis runs a lot of dribble handoff stuff. Uh, He swings the ball from side to side. So I think he's the type of player in theory – that Billy Donovan really wants at that position. And again, he's a rookie. He's had some struggles and he's going to have up, uh, you know, peaks and valleys throughout the year. Uh, but I think he's you know, that's been a bright spot. And I think that that's, you know, that's a credit to Billy Donovan and, and you touched on it, Danny, but I think Billy Donovan is by the end of the season is going to gain a lot more recognition uh, for right. his coaching ability. Um, and, and it's, and it's ironic how this happens uh, that, you know, it, it always takes like an underestimating or a, um, you know, lack of expectation on, on a team for a coach to really, truly get credit unless you're winning a title, then you get your credit. But, you know, when you have players like Durant and Westbrook on your team, it's like, well, of course they gotta be good. Uh, you know, Donovan got some credit last postseason when they upset the Spurs and then took a three, one lead on the Warriors. Cause that wasn't the expectation. So people were like, Hey, maybe Billy Donovan's doing a good job. I think as the season plays off and, it, uh, and if the Thunder stay competitive, people are going to start noticing that Billy Donovan's a pretty good coach.
0: They will, and they should. And something that Sabonis is a prototypical example of, especially for a young guy, which is weird, but makes sense when you think about his background, is that there are a lot of different circumstances for players that can, they can succeed or fail. And one of the underrated and underutilized ones is a smaller cog with better teammates. And so you don't always necessarily want your five best players out on the floor, you know, like that, that can create issues with one another. The thunder might be one of the greatest examples in, in recent times of how sometimes you want to separate it. You want it, you want to figure all that out and use the 48 minute space to create the best possible combinations you can. And a lot of players, it depends on where you are in your in your process, but a lot of players get thrust into the role initially of a larger let's let's use usage. The larger usage role with inferior teammates early on. And then you see how that works and maybe rise or fall. Chris Dunn is a really good example of this. Like, yeah. And sometimes that's not the right circumstance for that guy. Sometimes they should be playing a smaller role with better players and just getting used to everything like that. And it doesn't always work. You know, like the, the Sabonis experiment absolutely could have failed and it's still imperfect in a lot of different ways. But again, Donovan deserves credit for trying it out. It was something they did in the preseason. And I thought it was more of a political thing. You know, it was you drafted a guy gotcha. in a lottery and everything like that, and that certainly could have... I don't know if that's how it started or anything else. There, it, there can be multiple motivations for anything, but it's worked reasonably well, and the other reason it works is because they don't really have anyone else that makes a lot of sense there. You know, if they had different personnel, you could point to, oh, they should play X person instead of Sponus, but... I don't think Cantor makes sense in that spot. I think it would put too much strain on Adams and a lot of other things. And they don't have enough wings to really slide somebody like Robertson, as fun as it would be to see him play power forward offensively and play the three offensively, or the three defensively. That's a lot to ask of a guy, and you need the right system around that and everything like that. So Sabonis might not be the ideal fit there, but it, it's probably the best use of resources that he could do.
1: And that's that's a, To me, that's always kind of been a fascinating discussion, especially like you mentioned. Um, the thunder have, have been one of the best test cases about it ever with James Harden coming off the bench and i think i asked scott brooks about it once and i asked billy donovan about it last year that there's always been this concept it's a, like it's just kind of like you know this tried and true basketball concept from high school and even in college that your five your starting lineup is just your five best players right and that is just not the case in the nba and you you just made the made a perfect case about it um but you know with i remember when harden he started at just a handful of games for the thunder when tabo Sefalosha was hurt and it just did not work. And a lot of people were always up in arms about, you know, how, do, how dare you not start James Harden? They, you know, you're not starting Harden. What a mistake. And maybe eventually that would have worked. But for Harden himself, he was actually the one that wanted to go back to the bench because, you know, people fail to realize that basketball is such a rhythm game and that, you know, when Harden ran that second unit with the Thunder, the ball was in his hands and that it was his team on the floor. And then now he's in a rhythm and then he can kind of rejoin Westbrook and Durant. And now they had something kind of working and they were all three in concert together. And that's just the case. So it's not about like, what is your single best solitary lineup? And how do I start that? And how do I play that the most? That seems to make sense on the surface in some ways. But you also have to consider the whole 48 minutes and the, you know, 10 different lineups that you're going to be putting out on the floor. How do they all function together? And what are the best, what is the best combination of lineups that we can use? And how can they, they work um, in concert? And I think that that's something that Billy Donovan has Developed so far as a coach, I think he struggled with that some to a degree last season and his rookie in his rookie year, but I think that that's something that he has gotten much better at is kind of looking at the whole scope of the game and understanding that you know within w- against this specific team and in this certain lineup, this is how we need to play.
0: I think it's going to amuse you that this is one of those things that I thought at the time and never said publicly, partially because I didn't have the platform I could have written it for Real GM then, but I didn't have three podcasts or anything like that was. At the time, I felt like the best two man, the best two kind of star young player combination the Thunder had was Harden and Durant, not Westbrook. I thought that they meshed better together than Westbrook and Durant did. I have no idea how that would have worked out as they aged. Like that would, it would have actually been more reminiscent of what Durant is dealing with now than what he ever did with the Thunder and Russ, because Russ always felt like a singular thing. Like he's somebody who is exceedingly talented, but you know, it, the, the whole team takes on his personality to a point, as much as you can. You know, like there's right. so there are certain parts of Russ that you can't replicate in other human beings. But that always felt, whereas Harden was more kind of simpatico with those kind of good players, and I think we're seeing that a little bit with the Rockets. And what made the, that Thunder team going back so fascinating was that if they had had a coach that really experimented more and that that really tried to figure out that 48 minute space. Like as those players grew into what they became and they wouldn't have grown into that playing together because there just wasn't enough real estate, but it would have been so much fun to see like giving them a true experimental coach to say, let's throw a, Bunch of crap against the wall with the most talented young roster that has existed in in recent time.
1: Yeah, what if Westbrook was the sixth man? I mean, seriously, that's.
0: I think that's what I think that's what the end game, and then you could have played one of those like off ball ones. Like, I'm not saying Delvidova would yeah. have been perfect, but you, there there are an army of guys that play the one that would be better off ball.
1: I love this idea because you know a lot of people always painted it, Danny, that. It was the Thunder picked between Harden or Abaca, right? Just because they, you know, Ibaka was re-signed and, and Harden wasn't. And that, that was the choice that they were making. To me, the choice was always Harden or Westbrook. And they were choosing between those two guys. And, you know, the Thunder chose Westbrook, in effect, uh, for a number of different reasons. Whatever you want to choose there, that they, you know, on the court, off the court, a number of different things that they, they felt like Westbrook was more uh, in line with their organizational culture and all that good stuff. But... You know, I think that that is just a it's a it's an interesting topic because, like you said, what makes the Thunder I think you know the Thunder quote unquote super team that they had you know building different than like super teams like the Warriors or even the the Heat. Is that the Thunder, you know, they had three guys then while they were very young and they were going to have to learn. But all three of those guys were just isolation, play, you know, heavy players. You know, the year that they went to the finals, the Thunder were dead last in the league in assists. They were almost exclusively an isolation team. And they still they still knew how to win. But there was room for growth there, like you're mentioning. And uh, I think that that was going to require some outside the box thinking. And they never quite got there. You know, it's one, obviously going to be one of the great whatevs uh, in NBA history about trading Harden. But, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a pretty fascinating thing to think about.
0: And something that I I focused on a lot then, and the chronology in my own career has made this a more interesting thing for me, is that when the Thunder were, when they came on, the Warriors were still not good. And the Warriors, and what I noticed about that Thunder team was that they were really young, and they had great personal chemistry. Those guys really enjoyed each other's company, they liked each other, and that's the other parallel with the Warriors before this year, is that... They all came up together and you can build that chemistry. I think Bill Simmons has talked about this before in terms of like bands, like the bands that became friends when they were younger generally stayed together better because they didn't have all of those other kind of stuff. Like, U2 is probably the best example of this. And that's what the Thunder were like to me when I went when I went in their locker room, I went, wow, these guys really like each other. And that's going to lead a lot of this to work. And that's what happened with the Warriors It's like Curry, Draymond, Clay, you know, like they all rose together and everything like that. It probably wouldn't have worked if they hadn't built that personal chemistry beforehand. And that's another part of what makes the everything so haunting is that while there were all these kind of festering issues that would have become an issue with the ball and the b- ball being in multiple people's hands and all that kind of stuff, it's like, if you can make the personal part of it work, it gets a lot easier. It's not its not easy. It's not easy. It probably right. never would have been smooth. And it would have worked in a way that even as, as good of friends as everybody always talks about LeBron and Wade were, it's a different thing to have your basketball adolescence in a way with those same human beings.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the requirement for for that type of team is that you know there there has to be a, a sense of sacrifice and a sense of understanding within each other and and that's you know that's one of the reasons that that thunder team was was so fun and that's why i think so many of us were were disappointed to see it break up but uh that you know how they interacted and how they worked with each other is what made them really special because you know you can you can go out and everybody wants their numbers especially early in your career i mean everybody's trying to find their own ways that's why these super teams don't typically form through the draft like the Thunder did it because there's too much at stake and there's too much in the way in, in terms of the growth and development of them. For the most part, you know, it's it's when guys hit 27, 28, 29 years old and they start looking at their careers as a whole and what they want to accomplish and the things that they want to do. And then there's a little bit more humility to themselves. You know, they've had All Star games put down, they've had MVP trophies won, you know, All NBA teams, all that stuff. Um, that's what I think made it so difficult. Uh, for that young Thunder team to kind of overcome is that all those guys were trying to make their way in the league and they all wanted those individual things along with, they, you know, it's not that they didn't want to win, but you know, those two things are kind of fighting against each other. You know, I think that some of that stuff obviously played a part in
0: that. That's a great point, but we need to take a quick timeout to say a few words from our sponsor, Audible. yeah there were those two templates that kind of came around at the same time. It was the the Thunder doing it that way, and then the Celtics in what became the the way that those teams are assembled now, which is that you have guys who are a little bit older, who are probably frustrated by their station in the league, had plenty of individual success, making some sort of personal sacrifice to build a better team. And that's also what made it what changed the NBA orthodoxy in terms of teams having to fight and struggle their way through is because that dynamic had never really existed before. And now it does. And we'll have to see how that how that changes moving forward. And it might completely shift based on the new collective bargaining agreement. I mean, if they make it harder to form super teams through free agency, then it's gonna go through the draft. And what I part of what OKC, you know, I, I I'm somebody who the lessons you learn from prior years from prior teams affect affect you and the way you think about things is the next thunder the next like 2010 2011 thunder is probably the Sixers and right. so we'll see if they can in a new CBA climate in a different market in a completely different world where their GM already got fired for putting their team together if they can make that work but again they they don't even have one Harden Westbrook or Durant yet they need to get so it's it's way too early to put the cart before the horse there but mean, it's always exciting because what they had was so special and it's turned into a bunch of different special things. I mean, to see those guys all have success now in different places and, you know, they, they could end up, I don't think this will happen, but they could end up one, two, three in the MVP.
1: Yeah. And, you know, again, it's, it's sad for the Thunder and a lot of people, it's sad, you know, that, you know, a potential dynasty or whatever you might have. Think. But like for the overall health of the league, it's not necessarily a bad thing that these three guys are doing incredible things on on their own teams, on separate teams right now. But you know, the other thing about it is that, and I do think a lot of people lose this sight when you talk the what if about trading Harden and what they had. It's not like the Thunder were bad after the trade. I think everybody would have a a a much better case to make. If the Thunder suddenly traded James Harden and then they were like this forty-five win team and was going out in the second round of the playoffs, the year after they traded him, they won sixty games, had the best margin of victory in the NBA, and then Russell Westbrook got his knee blown up by by Patrick <laughs> Beverly. So, you know and. You know, that team might have been the best team in the NBA. Uh, And then, you know, they went after that. I think they went to three out of the next five Western Conference Finals. They were obviously up on the 73-win Warriors, three games to one. Um, If Kevin Durant were to come back, this Thunder team that they would presently have might be the favorite to win the NBA title uh, with the moves that they made. Because Oladipo, in a lot of ways, not that he was going to refill the role of Harden because, I mean, Harden is, you know, on another complete planet than victor ladipo but like he was going to recreate at least a sense of that in terms of what they had in that second unit and you know Durant obviously didn't stay so like that was like the thunder's kind of thinking all along is like they wanted to get to the the primes of westbrook and Durant, and they felt like trading harden was going to enable them to get there while having the assets to build out a team and they they would have had that i mean I, i think the thunder maybe you disagree but i think the thunder probably would have been the favorite coming into this year and Durant leaving is what really messed up the plan more than anything else
0: It would have been tough defensively, but if Durant plays the way he did in the Western Conference Finals and against the Spurs, it would have been very possible. I mean, it would have been kind of a coin flip in in the playoffs between the two. They probably would have ended the regular season with a worse record just because that Warriors team would have have gone in a different direction. But the regular season also doesn't really matter between those two teams. And I was going to end with a different question, and now I'm going to ask one quickly before that, which is, since you brought up the Oladipo trade, from what you know, was that... Kind of basically, was that one of those circumstances where Presti just thought this is a good trade no matter what happens with Durant? Or was there kind of an eye on, well, maybe he's going to leave and we do it that way?
1: They saw it as this only increases our odds of keeping Durant. You know, first of all, Durant liked the trade. You know, It's not as if the Thunder did the trade without having a very clear and present knowledge that Kevin Durant was in support of the trade. Um, they would not have made such a bold move if, if Kevin Durant was like this big Serge Ibaka fan and was like, oh, that's going to greatly upset him. I mean let's not kid ourselves here. Presti was in communication with Durant's people and Durant himself about that move. So Durant was in favor of it. Uh, they felt like that that was going to um, – you know, increase their, their chances. But then there's no question about it, Danny, on the back end of it, that it did, it did uh, give them a a nice little plan B uh, should Durant leave. And that's why it was kind of a win-win in Presti's mind. And that's the reason that he went ahead and pulled the trigger because look at it from the other side. Let's assume that, that he didn't make that trade. And Serge Bach is still on the thunder right now. You know, you've got a, you know, what is a Bach? I think 27. He's on an expiring deal and made it, Fairly clear that he he was uh, going to explore opportunities in free agency the following summer. So the Thunder might have one year of Serge Ibaka. Um, instead, now they have you know Victor Oladipo locked up for the long term. They have Demontis Sabonis on a rookie contract, and now what's turned into Jeremy Grant because Ursan Ilyasova turned into Jeremy Grant. So the Thunder were able to kind of restock the cupboard a little bit in a sense by just moving Ibaka. So it, it was it in Presty's mind it was a win win. All the way around, and, and I think it's it's probably fascinating thing about if Durant had come back, you know, watching this team play. I think it probably would have been a little bit of an interesting thing to see is would they have been as good in the present moment without Ibaka? Because Ibaka did a lot of important things for the Thunder. A lot of things that, that he didn't get enough credit for, quite honestly, is you know, his, his block shots came down last year. But in terms of his help defense and just his ability to switch on to smaller players, I mean Ibaka was a, an integral part of the Thunder's success last year. So that would have been an interesting aspect of it. But it definitely has worked out the best for them, especially with Durant leaving.
0: They also would have had the opportunity to deal more in the world where they already had dealt with the stagger and just exploring to see where where those guys would have fit together, how they want what kind of combinations would have worked and everything like that. And my last question is kind of along a long part of those lines, which is just assuming reasonable health, because, of course, that's the wild card that we can never deal with. But we can't predict that. So we might as well not waste the time. Where do you see this regular season turning out, and if it goes to the playoffs, where do you see that turning out?
1: Yeah, I mean, that, it's it's been an interesting start for the Thunder because seven games in, they were six and one. Their one loss was a blowout loss to the Warriors. They beat the Clippers on the road. Uh, they'd had some kind of impressive blowout wins against some of the uh, you know mid-tier, lower-tier teams. And I thought suddenly I was like, man, maybe this Thunder team has an identity. They were, I think, third or fourth in the league in defense uh, defensive rating at that point. And I thought maybe they have something here. And then they lost seven out of nine, fell to eight and eight. uh, And now they've responded again, uh, winning five straight going into the Atlanta Hawks game uh, here on Monday. So before the season, I I saw the Thunder as a 46 to 49 win team. And I still feel pretty good about that's where I think that they're going to end up. I think Westbrook is just too much of a force of nature. Their critical aspect is they've got to beat the teams that they should, particularly at home. Um, they lost some of those games. You know, I mentioned it. You know, if they, they're three possessions away from being sixteen and five. I mean, that's just you know they, they lost on an Baca game winner. They lost when Nick Young hit a game winner, and they lost in overtime to the Pacers uh, without Paul George and CJ Miles. I mean, the Thunder really have a good case to be sixteen and five at this point. But I think that their are ceiling, if I, if I was going to kind of look down the line. I think that they probably are, you know, winning forty-seven games and getting to the second round of the playoffs, and probably losing in five or six games. Whoever they find there.
0: If theoretically the choice were between, like, if, if it were between being the the sixth and the seventh, they can do better than this. I'm not saying I'm not saying anything with that. Would you? For whatever criteria you want, would you would you rather see a first-round series against the Clippers or the Spurs?
1: I think the Thunder actually match up pretty well with the Clippers, personally. And a lot of people kind of maybe think I'm crazy about that. Now, the, the Thunder beat them once and they were a Westbrook three away from beating them again. I think that, that Westbrook... I'm not going to call it a mental edge because I don't think that's fair, but I, I do think that Westbrook just has some sort of edge against Chris Paul for whatever reason. Um Andre Robertson is the wild card because he switched on to Paul late in those games and really affected paul Paul's ability to get to his spots on the floor and kind of you know that lean back jumper that Paul likes so much. He can't really get it with Robertson on him, and it would I think it would really be up to Blake Griffin to play a great playoff series. Uh, against the Thunder because the Thunder don't have a great answer for him without Serge Ibaka anymore Adams would probably play on a on uh, Griffin more than anyone else but I think the Thunder honestly match up pretty well with the Clippers what would concern me the other way is that I think what always made the Thunder such a threat to the Spurs is that Kawhi Leonard for as great as he is couldn't Guard Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant at the same time, and now you could put Kawhi Leonard on Russell Westbrook for as much time as you wanted to, and I think that that could wear on the Thunder, and that's why I think the Spurs would be a little bit more of a tough matchup.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could give forty six minutes or whatever you want to Kawhi and Danny Green, and basically say, "When Kawhi, when you need a rest, oh great, now Danny Green's on him," and, and that sort of a, a structural imperative would be a big problem for the Thunder. I've been thinking oh, for the last couple of weeks about the idea of a Clippers Thunder series and would be very excited. Thunder Rockets would also be a lot of fun for other reasons. I mean, the whole Patrick Beverly Russell yeah, right. thing would scare me just because Beverly Beverly can hurt people all the time. It's still amazing to me that he was not involved in Steph Curry's injury which happened against the Rockets <laughs> instead it was Sabonis or I mean Money Eunice's back sweat. But s- same basic thing and so What I've been so thrilled by beyond Russ being Russ and everything else like that is that the Thunder, wherever they fit into this mosaic, they make everything more interesting. And so I don't know if they're going to win in the first round or where they're going to be, but no matter what, that series is going to be compelling. And if they make the second round, that series is going to be compelling too. And that is a victory in a sense, when the team loses one of the three best players in the world and doesn't really have the means to replace him. To be that good is awfully impressive.
1: And that's an excellent point, Danny. And I think that's something that a lot of people hopefully are going to catch on to as the season goes along, that the Thunder are not perfect. They've got flaws. They're in a tougher position than they've ever been in. But compare them to other teams that have experienced this type of loss. And not, you know, other teams like Denver, and Orlando, New Orleans, they made a trade to try to restock themselves uh, preemptively, before losing a player for nothing, the Thunder lost Durant for nothing. Like you said, they had no means to replace him. They 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 lost the guy, and he was the franchise. So for them to respond in this way, and this is something I've been saying a lot on uh, local radio okay OKC. If I was going to define success for this Thunder season, of course, you know y- you want to you know place high goals and whatever they may be. To me, it's win enough games for Russell Westbrook to reasonably win the MVP. I think that that would be an incredible achievement for both him and for the organization in the wake of Durant leaving. And then take your chances in the playoffs. And like I, again, I I don't. I, I said that maybe their ceiling would be the second round. That's not what I'm necessarily predicting. I think they would have the chance for that. And if they got in a series with the Clippers, I, I would pick the Clippers to win. But if you, you could give Russell Westbrook the opportunity to play four perfect games, and if he could do that, they could maybe win that series. I think that that's, that would be an incredibly successful year.
0: I'm already looking forward to the possibility, and thanks so much for taking the time. You bet, man. Thanks again to Royce Young for taking the time. You can, of course, read him at ESPN, ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Royce Young, R-O-Y-C-E-Y-O-U-N-G. Love talking with him about the Thunder. Defining success, like we talked about at the end, is something that I'm interested in with almost every team, and I'm happy he got to it because I silly did not ask him that question, which I always enjoy. And Royce is a great guest for exactly that kind of reason, because he knows where we need to go in terms of a conversation, and it's always always fun to to talk with him. And I'm enjoying this type part of the year for real gem radio, for everything really, but for real gem radio because there are fascinating stories all around the league, from individuals to teams, and I will try my damnedest to strike a balance between team stuff and overall league stuff and the monthly tiers piece or podcast that I'm going to do. The first one was with Kevin Pelton last week. That will help provide the league focus. I'm going to go in a mix. If you have any input in terms of teams or guests that you really want, you can reach out to me. If you want to, you can reach out to them. But generally speaking, I don't need you to nag them in order for them to be interested. It's always an issue of availability and everything else. So I'm going in a lot of different directions over the next few weeks, going to try to do some fun stuff and always excited for it and super excited about having the first ever like comp contest in terms of a sponsor. So Sherry's Berries doing the best and worst NBA gift contest. Like I talked about early in the show, you can use the hashtag my best NBA gift or hashtag my worst NBA gift. Or if it's a longer thing than 140 characters, you can send it to me, DannyLaroux NBA at gmail.com. Not coincidentally, that is the same email address that you can reach out to for feedback on the show. Good, bad, and different. I really do appreciate it. And I- I'm fine with criticism as long as it's constructive. Not a problem at all. You know, if it's just you're bad or whatever, you know, I would save your save your energy for something else. But if it is something that I can do better, it's, that's happened with audio quality, it's happened with a million other things, I really do work on it, and your input matters a great deal to me, so you can reach out that way. Follow me, Danny LaRue, on Twitter. bunch of different ways that you can support the show. First is, you can leave a rating, leave a review on whatever podcast player you use. You can also subscribe, download every episode. That way, you know when they're coming in. I do put them out on Twitter. Real GM is great about putting them in the wiretap, but that is another way to do it. You can also check out the CLNS radio app. I'm a member with Real Jam Radio of the CLNS family. It's great. You can listen to all their other shows and you can listen to Real Jam Radio there. It's a free app. It's in the in the iTunes store and I believe it's in the Android one. I have an iPhone, so I can only tell you what I have. And it's great to be there. And then, of course, you can support our sponsors, which is, is a great thing just as we move forward. So Sherry's Berries, you go to berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. There's a little mic in the top right corner. You click Real GM. There's the little promo code that tells them that you came specifically from us. So then that counts as a referral and they really do care about that. And then also you, so then they have a great package of berries for 19.99, 99 or you can get doubled berries for $10 more. And they have a lot of other options. When you click on that mic and put in Real GM, you can see a lot of other things. And while it is christmas focused you can f- get them for any holiday i mean i had their berries a couple days ago and it didn't make it, 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 it they're just good i I've, you can get them any sort of the reason but holidays are a great time for gifts like that so i'm i'm definitely in support of that of course blue apron you can go to blueapron.com/realgm 3 meals free including free shipping on your first order and then audible Go to www.audible.com slash try now, and you can check out Audible. I've been listening to Trevor Noah's book, Born a Crime, which is excellent. I've been listening to it on Audible over the last week. I'm a little less than a third of the way through it. It's absolutely great. I recommend that and Audible to do it. And part of why I like that, I mentioned this before, is that it's often the person who wrote it reading it, and I just really like that. It it develops more personal connection to it. So you can do all that kind of stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.